Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and show us what you would want us to see and help us to study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 9, we're continuing in this. We had uh, Paul getting saved at the beginning of this chapter. Then we had Paul being finally accepted by the apostles that took uh, Barnabas to bring him in and, and vouch for him and uh, said that he founded the the uh, Jews in Jerusalem and then they were plotting to kill him just like they plotted to kill him in Damascus. The disciples found out and they that's where we kind of left off in, in this chapter. Uh, now we're going to switch from Paul and we're going to go back to Peter. So verse 32, and it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydia. And there he found a certain man named Ananias, which was kept in his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Ananias, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Arise and, and take, make your bed. And he rose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydia and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. So we're going to stop there for just a moment because this is kind of an interesting statement. It's not very far into this. But it seems that Peter was one of the first circuit pastors going around because it says he went throughout that area. Um, you know, so he was just wandering around church to church to church. And this has been the case in many, in many places that pastors, especially in rural areas, have wandered around to, to churches. Uh, it happened in the south that they had circuit pre uh, preachers. Even in the territories in Arizona and everything, and they would have circuit pastors that would ride a great big circuit, and about once a month they'd come back to the town, or every, every couple months they'd come back to town and hold church services and, and hold weddings and funerals and whatever else needed to be done. And these guys were pretty brave in most cases and usually young. Uh, these, these guys were young, barely trained, trained men, and they would run, wander around. And Peter here is making a circuit. He's going throughout the area, all through the quarters, and he ends up at Lydia. Now, nine miles from Joppa and about 30 miles from Jerusalem. So he's a good distance from where he normally stays. You know, 30 miles in that day was a pretty good, pretty good distance to be moving out. And he gets to this place, and there's this young, well, a man, I don't know about young, named Ananias, and he had been sick for eight years. And he had palsy. Palsy is basically a disease that literally it means relaxed joints. <laughs> All right, which means he had sore joints and had trouble standing up. So that could be anywhere from uh, arthritic conditions to you know, broken, you know, broken joints and every, you know, joints, but he, the joints would not hold, uh, which now put them in bed. And so he comes in and, you know, this man, eight years, eight years without being able to get up and move about. And Peter just says to him, Jesus makes you whole. Rise up and basically same thing Jesus told the people, rise up and take your bed. Uh, and it says he rose immediately. And this was such a miracle that those that dwelt in that area saw what had turned to God. Now, you know, I wonder sometimes about, about this. You know, one miracle seems to change people's hearts. Uh, in the uh, beginning of this chapter, we have Peter and John going to the temple and they, lay, they heal the lame man and thousands of people get saved. You know, it's, and, I, and I just wonder what it is about these miracles that are really driving this because we see so many false miracles you know even in our day there's all kinds of things going on but these people know these individuals it's one thing to try to do these false miracles and make people think that things are happening you know and unfortunately we have charlatans all through christianity that hold healing ceremonies and these guys will come forward and have these miraculous healings and some and God is fully capable of doing don't get me wrong but you know it's one thing if you know the person these guys knew this man and when he got healed and picked up his 
his bed, they're going, well, we don't think he was playing around for eight years. <laughs> we know he was sick, and now he's not sick. And that made people really see. And when Jesus, when he healed the demoniac in the Decapolis, those people knew that this man was crazy. They knew that every time they chained him, he would snap the chains and then chase after them. And then when he got healed, they're going, there's something different. People knew that something had happened. And this is, we need to be able to see the power of God move. God is still looking to do powerful things. So a lot of people will say, well, he did things there because the New Testament hadn't been written. He needed to do these things. And I understand that that's partially true. But these guys were how to teach, but the miracles did grab people's attention and still do grab people's attention, which is why they're so critical. Looking for miracles because that is how the Antichrist will establish himself. He is going to do counterfeit miracles and have many healings and all these things to go on so he can say, see how powerful I am. And so we have this very interesting thing. The miracles help establish who people are but by the same token they can be false and whether they're going to be actual miracles that the antichrist will do will they be show will they be you know what they are we don't know we do know that when his pro when the antichrist is is killed he comes back to life now how that comes back to life we don't know it's very kind of very interesting when you read that uh, it almost like sounds like artificial intelligence being, you know, living into a beast because he makes the beast come alive. Uh, so we don't know all of what's going to happen, but we do know that it's going to look like he's doing what Jesus did to the people. And pretty easy for Satan to cast out demons. All he's got to say is get out. Yeah. He's in command of his demons. He can say just get out, and they're going to go out. So it's going to look like he's casting out demons it is quite possible that temporarily he could, you know, make things look like they've had healings. Uh, and he's not beyond being the setting up lying miracles and making people look like they're sick for a long period of time and then healing them of their sicknesses. So all kinds of things will happen. He is the father of lies, so he, I don't believe he's going to do real miracles but if anybody has seen a magician, even if you know the trick, a good magician can make the trick look real. And even when you know the trick, it's like, okay, I know how he did that, but how did he do that? I didn't, I didn't, see, I didn't see the particular you know, move that they made. So this is going to happen. But in the Bible, the disciples did all this stuff. Jesus did all this stuff. The prophets did miracles. Now, the one thing we do want to understand is Jesus did more miracles than probably any other person in the Bible. It doesn't seem like he had a day go by which he didn't do miracles. But we look at people that have done miracles through the Bible and we're going, you know, we just studied Elijah the other day and Elijah had many miracles that performed, but it wasn't like these miracles happened every day of their life. All right? So they're, they're not happening. In the early part of the the church there seemed to be a lot of miracles because God was making a point and we need to understand miracles still happen but we cannot be dependent upon those miracles to say well if I don't see a miracle it's not God no you know God does miracles and I have seen lots and lots of miracles over time I've seen people healed I've seen food stretched I've seen you know things that are definitely mir miraculous but we don't put our faith in our, on the miracles. We put our faith in God and his word. And then his power comes along behind it. And it is really wonderful, I mean, to be able to pray and expect people to get healed and see healings is wonderful. Now, I don't know that I would be as bold as Peter or say, pick up, you know, you're, 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 um, you're, you're made healed, get a, you know, pick up your bed and walk. That's, <laughs> God would have to really be speaking to me real closely on that one. I don't remember where that is. I remember reading that. I don't, was it been, we already covered it or knew, I don't remember where it fits in there. Yeah. There were miracles going on. Uh, he knew, 
there's another place where it says that people wanted the handkerchiefs that Paul used to wipe the sweat off his face to, and people were getting healed by just taking, his, taking these handkerchiefs. All right. I don't know how the spirit moved and it, is, it does appear that in the first century he moved in a little stronger way than he's moved at any other time in history that we know of. And again, he was making a point. He's saying, I'm setting these people apart. They are my followers. Part of it is faith. Part of it is faith. Part of it is what's going on. And even in our day and age, if you get out where the missionaries are actually out in the field and there's not doctors all over the place and stuff, they see healings a lot because there's no other choice. You know, the doctor is, you know, four hours away. You pray for people first. Here in America, we tend to run to the doctor first before we pray. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it might be better if we start thinking about praying first and then, uh, and then going to the doctor, giving God a chance to do his, his part before we just jump off and say, oh, you know, we're just going to go see the doctor. And I'm not trying to belittle doctors or anything, but I'm just saying, where's our faith? Where is our faith in? Where is our confidence in? And I would love to see us do more. Let's pray first and then move into other areas. And I'm in the same place where I have to do the same, the same, pro, you know, same process. But where is Jesus walks up to this guy, eight years sick, and says, get up and walk. Get up and walk. I know your joints have been so loose you can't walk. You're, you're, you're stumbling, you're falling down, but just get up and walk. And he gets up. And it's such a miracle that everybody in the town knows it. And this is the great news. People are looking for the power of God. They're looking for something that's real. And we as Christians need to be able to show that God is real. That he is our peace. He is our strength. Because people are looking for that kind of strength, that kind of power. And they need to see somebody who has it. And that is our testimony. God leaves us on this world only to be testimony for him. Otherwise, we're wasting our time on earth. And if he didn't need us here to be the testimony for the rest of the world, we'd get saved and go directly to heaven. Now, I don't know how the next generation would get saved, but, but you know, if he didn't, and that's just it. He uses us to be that testimony to people of God's power his strength, and his care for us. And he gives us a peace that passes understanding so that when we go through times that we're going through right now, where we look and say, God, you know, I really don't, don't like what I'm facing. I don't like what the history is saying. And God says, well, I'm still in charge. And the more we realize and always keep in memory that he is in charge, the better we are at staying calm. You know, God, I don't... I really don't like what I'm facing, but you're still in charge, and I know that you haven't forgotten us. I can, I can stay confident. And this is why we see this. Peter comes in, and this guy is healed. And we don't know how many other people. It seems like everywhere Peter's going, people are getting healed. Everywhere Paul goes, people are getting healed. You know, and, and I sometimes wonder, God, what is wrong with our faith in our day? You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's wrong with our faith? Uh, but I also realize on the other side of the coin is what I always say. How many times did he not heal people? You know, uh, how many times did he just wander by and not have this happen? We just get the highlights of his story. When you read biographies of people, how boring it would be to read a biography where a guy says, well, I got up in the morning, had breakfast, went to work, had lunch, went, came home, played with the kids, and went to bed. Did this for months and months. Oh, and now, now something, you know, get 30, 40, you know, uh, 90 pages of that everyday routine and think, oh, and here's something. That you know, the problem is when we read these stories, we forget that there's a lot of empty space <laughs> where 
day-to-day -day life just happens. And we need to be careful that we don't say, well, God, my life's not, 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 not as exciting as Peter and John's and, and Daniel's and Abraham's and, and Moses's. You know, we got to... Now, there were a lot of times when they just got up and lived life on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, I'm sure because they were close to God and, and those things, they might have had a little more excitement than many of us do. But they also got, cru they also got executed. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, their life was exciting, all right. Yeah, their life was exciting. They upset the towns that they would go into, and they finally eventually died. Yeah. Uh, do we need that? Do we want the excitement? We don't think about the flip side of the, the excitement. How good out <laughs> but I also understand, you know, if do we really want the lives that these guys had? If so, the consequence of it is that Satan gets moved against us as well. And this is something we have to think about. The more I serve God which is good, the more Satan is going to move against me. And this is very true. I've said this over and over. When you're not saved, Satan doesn't care about you at all. You can do whatever and make whatever, be whatever. He doesn't care. You get saved, Satan gets a little riled. You get saved and start serving God, he starts getting a lot riled. You start really serving God and people start getting saved and, and the kingdom is, is and his kingdom is being hurt, you start becoming a target. A big time target. And you become a bigger target with the more you're doing for God. Now, do any of us ever truly desire you get Satan directly attacking us? I don't think I know anybody that's had Satan directly attacking them personally. But all of a sudden you get a little more attention. And this is true, you know, in the military, the, the officers and the, and the stuff will take off their insignia in the middle of a battle and not make it clear who's giving the commands because they don't want to get shot. Because the enemies have learned over the years, you, if you take out the, the leaders, the uh, troops uh, falter because nobody's there to lead them. Now, in the older times, they did not shoot they did not shoot at the generals in, the, in, at, in, in, in most cases. Why? Because you might be killing your uncle or your cousin or, or anything because the other officers were royalty. So you never really shot the officers until they came to America. Americans actually started the bad habit of shooting officers. <laughs> uh, why? Because it took them six to nine months to get a new officer to replace any officer that we could kill. So, and we didn't go out and fight them line by line and just walk at each other and shoot each other <laughs> in great big lines. We hid behind buildings and, and walls. And it's kind of funny that the colonial Americans violated every law of uh, rule of war against England. Would you? Did they learn it from the Indians? Huh? Did they learn it from the Indians? I don't, well, technically they learned it from the, from the uh, Swiss uh, mercenaries. They, they tended to do the same thing. And the Indians did it too, so, but Indians just hid and, and shot anybody. They didn't shoot officers necessarily. Uh, but we see that Satan will attack. And if he can get you just to, you know, once you're saved, if all you want to do is sit around on, the, on a pew and you're saved, he's not really going to care about you either. He lost you, he's not happy, he'll harass you once in a while, but he's also careful not to harass you too much because that might push you into the Holy Spirit's realm and, and get you active. But when you're active, he moves, and he's trying to stop us. Peter and these guys, you know, eventually they paid with their lives. Many Christians that have done great things have paid with their life. And so... I'm not trying to scare us from doing great things because God is also on your side when you're doing these things. So it's wonderful to serve him and, and, watch, and, and watch him defeat Satan in the process. And Satan thinks he wins a victory when he kills us and really all he does is send us home. So it's a wonderful thing. And we need to understand this. Peter is going around. These people get, see this man get saved and many turn 
to God. One of my hopes is that we see a miraculous revival in this town. God is moving in this town already, but I'd love to see a revival. I want to see people getting saved in this town and see this town totally turned to God and be a miraculous revival. Something of the nature that we're looking at here. How will this happen? Idea. Will it be a miracle somewhere that generates this? Will it be a miracle of somebody getting saved that really everybody goes, there's no way that that person could ever become a Christian and then they turn and become a real avid follower of Christ? Quite possible. That's usually how many of these things happen. Is that somebody that you would go, there is no way that that person could ever get saved, at least the world. <laughs> we as Christians hopefully recognize that everybody can. But the world will look at, well, that person is just so bad. That person can't get saved, and they get saved. Miracles happen, and people notice. And we need to live that life that says, God has made the change. All right. Verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works, and alms deeds which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom they had washed and laid her up in the upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydia was nigh unto Joppa, the disciples and the, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring that he would come, that he would not delay to come unto them. Then Peter arose and went with them, And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So I wanted to stop here. This lady named Tabitha or Dorcas, whichever name you want to use. (laughs) Kind of like the name Tabitha better than Dorcas. (laughs) Uh, But it says that she did many good works and almsgiving. So basically what it's saying is she took care of the poor, she took care of the needy, and we find out later the widows. So she obviously had some money coming in or had some wealth coming in, and she ends up being sick and dies. And it's kind of interesting that says they washed her and they laid her up in the upper chamber. In other words, they cleaned her up and, and prepared her for burial. But instead of taking her to the tomb, which if it was a Jewish tradition, Jews bury their dead within 24 hours. And when we say within 24 hours, we mean, we mean nightfall. <laughs> All right. you're, you're, you die, you get, you get buried. And that's the, way they, that's the way they've done it, and it's still the way they try to do it even today. They, you, when, you die, when, the, when you die in Jerusalem, you're buried quickly. All right. Uh, so they, but instead of putting her in the tomb, they put her in an upper room. And they sent people to go get Peter. Now Peter's got some reputation here. He's, people, are, people are being healed. Now, I don't know how many people he's raised from the dead at this point. <laughs> uh, this may be the first one. We don't know. But they're going, if, and basically what they're saying, if there's anybody who deserves to be, to be brought back to life, it's this woman. And, and they said, for as much as Lydia is nigh unto Joppa. So Joppa is about uh, nine miles from Lydia. So not too bad. For them, it's just a short walk, nine miles short walk. And so they go to get him, and it says that he comes with them. All right? Um, and when he gets there, in verse 39, when he, came, when, he came, when he was come, they brought him up to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by weeping. All right, so all the people that she's been helping are there in tears. Now, I'm wondering if they're, they're sad because she died or they're sad because the person who's been giving them stuff has died. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They, 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 they loved her. Okay. But what do they show Peter? They show him all the coats and garments that she had made while she was with them. Which is why I'm kind of wondering what their motivation was to 
uh, on this one, but they're showing them this is what she does. What are they saying? Again, Peter, if there's anybody worth being brought back to life, this is the one who's worth bringing back to life. You look at all the good things that she is doing for this town and for us. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, I, when I die, I don't want anybody going out and saying, we need pastor back so bad, we want, to, we want him resurrected. When I die and I go to heaven, I want to stay there. <laughs> okay? I understand that people might miss me. <laughs> but if, if I make it to heaven, when I, you know, the day I die and I'm in heaven, I don't want anybody saying, come back. You know, uh, Mary and Martha did this to Lazarus. You know, and I, he was dead for four days. And they're going, no, we want him back bad. We really, 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 really want him back bad. You know, and it says that Jesus wept. And there's everybody, the, the town people go, well, see, he loved him so much. Look at, he, look at the tears in his throat and, and his, in his eyes. And I've heard pastors talk about how much he loved Lazarus and really, you know, and loved them. My personal opinion is he was weeping because he knew what he had to do to Lazarus. To bring him I'm going to take him, I'm going to rip him out of heaven to please his sisters, and he's going to have to die again. You know, and I think that's what brought his tears to him, because he sees things totally different than we do. You know, we see death as the end of you know, of, of a person's life, and it's really just the beginning of their life. It's the beginning of their life one way or the other. Whether it's going to be in heaven or hell, it's the beginning of eternity. And, you know, we almost have to change the way we look at death. And I've said to people, you know, the church that I spent most of my life growing up in, all the, all the memorial services were called homegoing services for those who were saved. Which... They went home. So we celebrated their life and celebrated what they went went to. Now, I can't celebrate somebody's life when I don't know where they went uh, because that's terrible. (laughs) But if I know somebody is saved, I'm going to celebrate the fact that they they went home. This poor woman went home. Yeah. And if we really understand in Psalms, God says that he takes pleasure in the death of his saints. Why? Because they go home. You know, we have trouble as human beings. We, our biggest problem as human beings is that we walk by sight, not by faith. And we're told by God that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. But it's so easy because we are human beings and that's how we get anything, is what do I see? Do I see a way out of this? Do I see how this is good? Do I, you know, and the problem is that when we walk by sight, we're making ourselves God. What I see is all that's important, not what God says. And we need to be very careful that we walk by faith in what does God say and make our theology match what God says rather than what we think. I talked with somebody today and we, you know, somebody who'd grown up Catholic and he goes, well, is there a place where people who are good but not quite good enough to go to heaven go to? And I go, well, the problem is with your, your basic assumption there. You're thinking that anybody can be good in the first place. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags. So there is no such thing as being good enough for heaven without Jesus Christ in the first place. So, no, there is no other place because it's either heaven because of Jesus' righteousness or it's hell because we don't have his righteousness. And this is why it's important. We look at the scriptures and we say, God, what do you say about stuff? And this is why we have to know our scriptures. This is why we have to get to know God's word so that when we come up to these things that our minds get boggled with, because from the human perspective, it's like I'm trying to earn enough points with God to deserve heaven. 
and the world thinks that way. And the sad thing is there's lots of Christians who think that way. That somehow, I, you know, and a lot of Christians go, I know I can't earn heaven, but once I, once I get Jesus and I'm going to heaven, now I've got to keep it. How do you keep something that you could never earn in the first place? You know, if I had to be keeping my salvation, I'm in trouble. Because I am not a good enough person to keep my salvation. I have all kinds of problems in my life. I have all kinds of problems that I do. And most people would look at me and say, you're a pretty good person. And I go, yes, from the world's perspective, I'm probably a pretty good person. I don't do a lot of the things that a lot of people do, but I am not a good person by God's standards. I am not a good person by my own standards. I, I mess up all the time. And this is where it becomes important. How am I walking with God? Am I putting all of my faith, all of my trust in his word? Or am I trying to live up to something that I can do? And if I'm living up to something that I can do, I'm going to fall off that, I'm going to fall off the pedestal. And worse yet is when we put somebody on that pedestal, we think they're the, they're the, they're the one to look at, the one to watch and you know, so a lot of people do this with their teachers that are teaching them. They put them up on a pedestal, and then when they fall, and I don't say if they fall, I say when they fall, they get all messed up because their hope wasn't in the right place. They weren't looking to Jesus. And that's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He goes, as long as I'm following Christ, follow me. And there's some good in that. It is good to look at somebody and say, this is an example. This is how I should be living. And, but don't put all of your trust in them. Put all, the only one that deserves all our trust is Jesus. And the disciples, you know, the disciples are quite an interesting character, group of characters. Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be resurrected. And then when he was, resurrect, then when he was dead, they were like, oh my goodness, what happened here? You know, four years where he's telling them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to resurrect. And they're going like... Uh, no, he's dead. And then they were amazed that he was alive. <laughs> you know, and we kind of make fun of them at times, you know, but you know, how many times do we do the same thing? We read the scriptures, we read the scriptures, God is teaching us something, he's teaching us something, and we fail the test. We fail the test to believe what we've been studying. We do it all the time. We're no worse, no worse than the disciples, no worse than the children of Israel. You know, a lot of people go, well, if I just walked with Jesus, I, I, would have under, I, would have, I would have believed everything. No, you wouldn't. You would have been just like the disciples. If I had just been walking with the, the, Jew, the Jews when they walked out of uh, 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 Egypt, I'd, I, all those miracles, I'd have believed. No, you'd have done the same thing they did because we had the word of God and we still don't believe. We have miracles going on around us all the time, and we still don't believe. We are as just as thick-headed as the Jews were, just as thick-headed as the disciples were, and maybe even worse in our case, because we have all their examples to look at, that they failed and we still fail. And we got a lot more examples. We need to be careful because we are human beings. If we are not walking by faith in the strength of the Holy Spirit, we will fail. When we're walking by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be successful, but it's still not us. It's my surrendering to God that makes me successful. And this is so important because it is so easy for us to get wrapped up in who we think we are, especially if we get a few successes. One of the most dangerous time for a, times for a Christian is when something great spiritually happens. You go to a great event and you're really all excited and you're really happy. Um, something big happened. You led somebody to the Lord. You did a great job teaching a Bible study, whatever it might be, and you're on cloud nine. Everything is going good. And what usually happens at that time? We take our eyes off God. And then we wonder why Satan takes our feet out from under us. And we come crashing down and usually blame God. God, how could you have let this happen? 
And God's saying, well, what do you mean me? I was over here and you stayed over there. You didn't follow me where I went and then you got your feet chopped out from underneath you and you're blaming me. And it doesn't matter. We as Christians do the same thing that the world does. We tend to blame God for our problems. We need to really get to the idea that if I've got problems, most of them are my fault. And if they're not my fault, it's still not God's fault. It's Satan coming in and trying to take us out like he did to Job. And this is the very beautiful thing. Most of our problems are our fault. But we look at Job and, God, and Satan goes, you know, God points out Job and says, why don't you, have you considered, oh yeah, hey, you know, yeah, I'd love to, but you're not. And God's testimony of Job was he's a perfect and upright man. And then God says, okay, Satan, you can go get him. And Satan went to town on Job. And for the most part... And for the most part, Job was righteous until, until, you know, until Satan really did the job. He sent Job's friends in to help, it, help him out. You know, really wonderful, edifying friends telling him, you must have done something, Job, because you know that these things don't happen to good people. You know, and unfortunately, we think about this, hopefully we have not been Job's friends <laughs> to, pe- to other people. Unfortunately, that's just what I'm going to say. I, I know that there's been times when I've said things that probably were judgmental instead of edifying. Our job is really to be edifying to people and try to build them up. Uh, not, not to say that what they're doing is okay, but to build them up that God is always faithful. Because if somebody's wrong, they know they're wrong. It doesn't take long to be convicted of that they're wrong if they're, if they're a Christian. Our job is to love, build up, and encourage. Because Satan will use us as much as he will use others to, draw, to make people be drugged down. And we need to be careful what we say. There are times when we need to be you know, direct with somebody. But it needs to be in love. And as I said, if you're not praying for somebody, do not try to correct them. <laughs> if, you're not, if you don't love them enough to, to pray for them, you don't need to be correcting them. You don't love them enough to correct them. And it is important that there are times when it is, correction is necessary. You know, it's very important. But be praying for people before you go to correct them. And we understand Job's friends tried to correct him. And they tried to correct him without knowing what they were talking about and without talking to God first. You know, they should have just been, and, and Job told them, you know, you guys are awful counselors and comforters. You know, uh, you know basically, you're almost saying, go away. You know, get out of here. We need to be careful when we comfort people, when we counsel. Is what we tell people biblical? And I have heard very bad things over the years from Christians helping each other. You know, God hates divorce, so what do they tell somebody who's having a bad, bad, bad struggle with their marriage and they'll hear just one side of the story and they'll hear how awful the other spouse is? Well, you need to get rid of that person and, and get, get on with your life and, and be happy. Where was that in the scripture? Are we talking about adultery? No, they just don't like each other. They're having a hard time with each other. There's no adultery. There's no reason to go. And they're going, you need to get rid of that person mistreating you so bad. Nowhere in the Bible does it say get rid of the person because they're, they're not making you happy. First off, they can't make you happy. If all my goal is that I can't be around anybody unless they're making me happy, I've got a problem because there's only one that can do that. And that's Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us that test to see if we're going to lean on him and be godly when we're, when we're not happy and when we're, or, or the excuse, or the excuse, I'm just tired. You've got to understand, I'm grumpy when I'm tired. Okay, well, I understand that you may be grumpy and that you may be tired, but that doesn't give you the right to not be nice to people. Why do we have to take you being grumpy? 
Uh, but we've all done it, including myself. You know, we need to be very careful. We love to make excuses. Well, if I just hadn't been so tired, if, I'd, I, if I hadn't only gotten eight hours of sleep in the last five days, I would have been a lot nicer to you. Maybe you should go to bed once in a while <laughs> and get some sleep. Well, or the really good one. You know, you know I'm Irish. You know, the Irish have a temper. Okay. Uh, I know lots of Irish people that can be nice. <laughs> But, you know, we need to be careful because we like to give excuses on why we can't be what God says we're supposed to be. And Satan loves to get that in there. And I'm way off topic. I was talking about how they wanted to bring her back. And I'm not trying to be critical because I'm just as guilty as anybody else on all of these things. But, you know, is our focus on God and what he wants us to be? And God will always allow the test for us and say, are you going to be what I want you to be? And he allows Satan to come into our life and give us all kinds of wonderful trials and temptations and set us up for the test. He'll give us a, Satan will help keep us awake most of the night and get a bad night's sleep and then give us a wonderful first impression with our spouse or family. And we're ready to take their and we're ready to take their head. You know, we're tired, and we go immediately to take their head off instead of loving them. You know, or the first person we meet gets to be the one that gets the gets this. We need to be so careful, and this is why we have to stay focused on Jesus at all times. We need to be in His Word. We need the Holy Spirit to be in control of our life. And that's the problem. The flesh kicks up so fast. Then, you know, the question is, are we, what do we do when we find ourselves there? But it is true that the flesh flares up so fast, which is why it has to be crucified. The, the closer we stay with God, the better off we are. The more we spend time in prayer, the better off. Uh, and I understand, getting up first thing in the morning, I feel sorry for the family sometimes, as, you know, as we're learning to follow and let God, because... Sometimes we go after them before we've really started concentrating because the flesh takes over. Now, maybe those who are single and no longer have anybody at home have a little easier because they can no, get God. They can get God. They can get God in their life before they get off to their family. <laughs> but the whole idea is, how much control does God have of our life? And a lot of that is, have I surrendered to Him? Am I surrendered to Him? Am I His slave? Because a slave to the master could not all of a sudden just tell the master to go jump in the lake because he woke him up in the morning. Yeah, he would, he would, you know, if he did, he'd be in trouble. And yet, there are times where we kind of tell God the same thing. God, go away. It's, it's too early in the morning. The day has just been really too bad, God. I, I'm not going to serve you right now. And... But if we're truly his servant, as we're supposed to be, we should be doing what he wants all the time. But the problem in our mindset is that we don't think of ourselves as God's slave in most times. We think of ourselves choosing to serve him or not choosing to serve him at our discretion instead of being his servant that he can say, go do. No matter how bad a day I'm having, no matter how tired I am, no matter how long my day is, when Jesus was telling the story of the servant and the master coming in from the field, he goes, you know, the master says, go fix my meal. The servant is just as tired as the master. They've both been out working. The servant probably is tired because he probably did more of the work. And he says, go take care of me, and then you can take care of yourself. Most of us do not think that way about God. We think, and, and I'm guilty of it as well, you know, forgetting that God is in charge <laughs> and I'm to do what he says. Our rest won't come until we get to heaven. And the problem that we tend to have is that we think that we're supposed to be at rest here on this world. And the good news is the life on this world is short compared to heaven. And we need to serve him at all cost here on earth. And if it means working ourselves to death while we're here on earth, 
so be it. Because we have heaven to rest. So I don't know why I'm off, why I'm off so, so far from, from Tabitha being resurrected, but <laughs> but must be good for somebody listening out there. <laughs> all right. All right, so we have all these people begging Peter to heal this woman who deserves to be healed. All right. And verse 40. But Peter put them all forth and sent them out of the room and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. This is, it's an amazing thing that most of these times when people end up having a resurrection of somebody, usually they send everybody out, maybe because they don't want to be embarrassed if they don't, (laughs) don't get healed, I don't know why. But they send everybody out, and it's something as simple as arise, get up. Jesus, when he went into the house of the girl, and he says, arise, and she gets up. You know, we have Elijah healing the widow's son, lays on the body, and it says, and the body arises. You know, I have not had the opportunity to ever resurrect anybody yet. I don't know if I ever will. I'm not sure that I want to see anybody resurrected because the only one I'd want to see resurrected, well, actually I'd want to see anybody who, went, who didn't know God be resurrected, have a second chance. And I don't know that God would do that or not, but this woman, he says, arise. She opened her eyes and sat up. And Peter gave her his hand and lifted her up and when And when he had called to the saints and the widows, presented her alive. Here's the answer to your prayer. She's alive. And it came to pass that he he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon the Tanner, which we'll hear about later on. Simon the Tanner is going to be somebody known later on. So he gets to spend, oh, and I skipped verse 2. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. All right, kind of, kind of would almost expect that resurrected. You know, there, there, there's some power, but not every resurrection seems to have drawn people to, to this, but many of them do. Yeah, well. Yeah, well, I agree on one side, but that also makes him a target for Satan. Yeah, oh yeah. I like the Peter. Peter Yes. Oh, he understood. He understood who the power was. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the important thing, and this is what I have with many of the faith healers, they start to think it's them that does it and start advertising, come to, come to my you know, healing service and see me heal people. It's like, uh, hold it, you know, who are you? If you truly have power, it's God. And it is easy to get egotistical. You, you build a big ministry, you build a big church, and you start getting to the place where you start to think somehow it's something that I have done. And you've got to be careful about that whole thing because anything that God is using through you is God. And he has to get the credit. Now, granted, you are the one that allowed him to work, you know, use you. You are the one that did it. And so I'm not saying you go so far, you know, and say, well, no, (laughs) no, it's all God. Of course it was God. You know, I've seen this a lot of times with musicians singing great, you know, have great gifts and talents of singing. Oh, God, oh, God. Oh God. Well, yeah, I know it's all God, but you're the one that is allowing him to use him. You're the one that's got the voice. You know, at least recognize it. Be thankful. Say yes. All right, thank you, God. And go and just keep moving forward. And it's hard sometimes when you see great things happening to, to not start getting proud. But that pride goes before the fall and pride goes before destruction. And we need to be very careful that we don't start thinking we're something. You know, 
well, God, you know, uh, when I started this church, there were, only, there were only four people in it, and now there's thousands of people. And for the people on the radio, listening on, online, that's not our church. <laughs> uh, we have grown a lot, but we're, we've, grown, we've grown all the way to 20 people. <laughs> yes, we've got a lot of people growing spiritually. And when you consider that the church only had four people when I started it, uh, it has grown a lot. Um, so, yeah, we, we, this church was barely alive when I started it. And it's not me who's done it, it's God, but, you know, it's, we don't also want to belittle our part in the growth, in, in what God uses. Because I know that God could use anybody in this church and done maybe even better than, I, than I've done, but he has allowed me to be the one that he's using to, to grow, and I don't, and I don't take that lightly and so when we see people growing when we see things being done are we always facing God are we always pointing to him Jesus said if I be lifted up I will draw all men unto me so these people that make it look make them stone like they're the one that did it you know come here my my messages at my crusades and get saved you know, people might get saved, but it would be a whole lot better if you said, come to God's crusade and get saved and, and look at what Jesus and the Holy Spirit are going to do. And it is wonderful because, you know, one of the things I have noticed as I start, especially now that you can start listening to these guys on the radio and on TV, it's amazing how many of them have very few messages. You know, they may have a very good message and they have it down very, very well. But it's the same message over and over and over again. And God may still use it, but it's like, wow, you're obviously not a pastor who has to teach the same people for 10, for 10 20 years because you couldn't get away with the same message for 20, year, you know, 20 years with the same group of people. Huh? Today's bread. Was it? <laughs> Well, there is a point of repetition. God repeats a lot. Uh, but I have, sat, I have heard pastors who only probably have about three years' worth of sermons because they have certain topics they like, they like to talk about, and there's certain topics they'll never talk about. And it's like, wow, you know, what happened to the rest of the Bible? There are places where it's hard to teach, and, it's, and it may even hit home on the poor pastor who's trying to teach it. There's many times I'm preaching it myself more than preaching it anybody else because I'm still struggling with what God says in his word, you know, and it's like, God, I can't teach that this week. I still don't know it. And usually what will happen is a pastor will decide because I'm not doing what I need to do, then I can't teach it. Well, I'm sorry. We're going to go verse by verse through the Bible and see where, where it goes, and there's going to be times I'm going to be preaching as much at my, to myself as to anybody else and going forward. But God is in charge. I am not perfect, and I'm going to make sure everybody else knows that I'm not perfect. I, you know, it's, and anybody who gets to know me knows that I'm not perfect. Now, I can get as irritated as anybody else, and yes, I've grown a lot, and I'm not, you know, I try to be more positive and loving than I've ever been in my life. But I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to say every once in a while something that's unloving, maybe even get caught up in in something I shouldn't say about somebody else. I try hard not to, but I know that I'm human, and God hasn't made me perfect yet. Uh, I'm not sure that I want to be perfect in this world because perfect people tend to die. So, but Peter, after this, gets to stay many days, it says, in Joppa, and he gets to build a stronger church and gets to probably teach them that it's not so much about the good works, but it's all about Jesus Christ. And help them understand what's going on. Because everything needs to be focused on Jesus. All of our life needs to be focused on Jesus. When it is, life can go pretty easy for a period of time as long as we stay focused on him. Why are the big events so much fun? Because they focus us on Jesus and we worship and we spend a lot of time it is wonderful to be able to go someplace and spend 24-7 for a while in God's presence. But it is not reality 
in the long run. I get, to, I get to talk all about Jesus. I get to have Bible studies all the time. And it's wonderful. But how do people get saved if all I'm doing is meeting with other Christians, talking about Jesus, and, you know, and really wonderful time. But it's not until we get back out into the real world and all of that stuff gets tested and trials hit us and I'm not following God every time, all the time. You know, why do I like to have so many Bible studies? Because I need us encouraged. I need us to go forward. But I want us to take what we learn to go out and to talk to other people and express it to other people and live it out. You know, if, I, if I didn't have the other job, I'd probably be here six days a week doing Bible studies out in the town, talking to people. Because I think it's so important that we go out and do these things. And I grew up in a church where they had, they had things going seven days a week. Now, of course, they had about five, you know, about seven or eight pastors, so there was always somebody else. But they had a morning Bible study. They had an afternoon Bible study. They had an evening Bible study every day of the week. And services t- three times a week. You know, why? Because people needed the encouragement. They needed and they were encouraged to go out. They were encouraged to go out and witness. They were encouraged to take what you learn and do something with it. And this is the key for us. I hope that everything for us, and I know the group here is you know, pretty good about it, it's not just about, let me get, you know, I want to be fed, 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 and never do anything. That just makes fat Christians. You know, fat, fat spiritually. We need to go out and do something with what we learn so that it actually does something good and, and changes people's lives. Always. Always. We don't. Okay. This is not, if we're fully following God, this is not our home. And this is what happens in our life. We have to purposely go out to interact with the rest of the world because they don't think like we do. They don't act like we do. We're not going to have fellowship with the world because we are gods. But we need to go out in the world and minister and be able to share the gospel, which means we have to have some kind of connection. And the longer we walk with God, the less of a connection we have with the world because we start spending all our time with other Christians so that we have to find a reason to spend time with the world, which is the one reason I do like the fact that I work at the prison. I get to work with the world and find people that need, need to hear. Now, if I wasn't there, then I would have to find something to do that would put me into the world, which is why even before I got the job at the prison, when I was hearing chloride a lot, I went to the post office almost every noon, even though I wasn't going to go get mail. Why? Almost everybody in town went to the post office, goes to the post office about noon. Might be changed now, but back then it was noon. You know, so even though I wasn't going to go get mail, I went to where the people were. There was a time when everybody in this town knew that I was the pastor of the church. They didn't know my name necessarily, but they knew that I was the pastor of the church. Because I was here, and I was where they went. I didn't do a lot of preaching, but I made some friends. I talked to people, encouraged people. You know, we need to get out into the world, whatever that means. If you're a sports person, go join a team somewhere and play sports with them. Especially if you can play sports and keep a good Christian reputation. I was not good at that. (laughs) I take my sports very seriously. I'm very competitive, and I, and I tend to uh, lose my cool when I play sports when, when something dumb happens, <laughs> which is almost every game. <laughs> either, either a teammate doing something dumb or, or an umpire or a referee doing something dumb, so I don't, I don't do well in sports. <laughs> uh, I'm too competitive to play sports. So, <laughs> But, you know, what do we do? Do we just come to church and hide at home? Or do we actually get out amongst the world and talk and share? And that might mean finding a hobby that we enjoy and joining a group that does that hobby or something to get us out into the world. And it's very important because, believe me, 
been a Christian for 50 years, I don't have a lot of worldly friends. I don't hang out with the world very often. So I have to either be working so I'm with the world or finding some activity that puts me out in the world. Some kind of ha hobby, some kind of activity that puts me out to where I can be seen by the world. And that might mean, you know, joining a bowling team or a crafting, you know, crafting club or something. Some kind of activity that puts me out where others are. So at the very least, they can see a Christian live Christ. Even if I find it hard to open my mouth and talk to them, at least they see somebody that lives godly. And this is important. Peter does a miracle, and then he stays in the town and teaches and helps build a church. Our job is to do just that. Get out and share the gospel. And it might just be as simple as passing out tracts. You know, we have all kinds of tracts out there. And they do disappear, not quite as fast as I'd love to see them disappear, but they disappear. You know, what if we were to take seven tracts a, a week and purpose to give one track out a day. How hard would it be to give out one track? But think about this. How many times do we go out shopping and just pass one track out? Every time we're around somebody, pass one track out. Who knows what God would do with that kind of activity? We need to do at least something to help reach people. Because God is there saying, that's our job. We're left on this world to expand the kingdom. Now, we need to just plant seeds. Some people plant the seeds, some people water the seed, and some people get the pleasure of harvesting the seed. But everybody gets the reward for that person. And it's said that people have to hear the gospel message six to nine times before they re will answer it. And I love when you listen to somebody's testimony and they go, and it was the first time I heard the gospel message. Especially if you know them. And you're thinking, okay, the times I told you didn't count, the times that person told you didn't count, the time, wow. You know, but you know, on the same side, I understand that it is the first time that they literally heard. Their ears and their brain heard, but their heart didn't hear it until the day that they, re they accepted it. And our job is real simple. Just go out and share the message. And many times people will get saved in the middle of the night and you won't even know that they got saved unless they tell you. Because something you said, something somebody else said resonates in their brain and, and the Holy Spirit brings it back to their memory in the middle of the night. And it's probably something like, what if that crazy person was right? And you think it's you thinking of it. And you then give more and more thought to what they said. You know, we never know about what we're saying touching somebody's life. And until we get to heaven, we may never know some of the people that we planted a seed for who got saved. The one we dropped that track for. The one we just handed out a track as we walked by. You know, didn't get much to say, we just gave them a track. And they actually read the track at some point in time. We are going to get to heaven and find out that we've got rewards that we know nothing about. The time we maybe even just gave somebody a, a good, uh, an encouraging smile when they needed it. And they knew that we were a Christian and knew that we were different. And that smile may be all it took to kind of give them, oh, that person always seems to be happy. You know, they say they're a Christian. I wonder if that's why. And go forward from it. We don't know all the ways that we're going to do it. So our job is to be edifying, be kind, you know, be, be as happy as we can be. <laughs> and, you know, when we do fail, we have to humble ourselves and apologize to the people that see us, that, especially the lost world. You know, other Christians, we all know that we're not perfect, so we're not expecting each other to be perfect. But the lost world, you know what? I was a bad example. I should not have been that way. And I did that recently at work. I was in a bad mood. I snapped out at somebody. And I went back and apologized, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I am really sorry. I just, you know, you didn't, deserve, you didn't deserve that. You know, well, nothing. I go, no, it really was. And this is a person I've been praying for to get saved. You know, so who knows? You know, sometimes that humble ability to just say, I'm sorry, you, you shouldn't have been treated that way, or I shouldn't have acted that way, 
might be just what they need to go, wow, this Christian, Christian stuff is real. This person is different. Because none of us likes to apologize. You know, we make our kids apologize. We were probably made to apologize when we were younger. But God is saying we should be really to humble ourselves. And we don't like to be humbled. And we don't like to be humble. And we need to be. We need to be able to understand that God is seeking humility. Why? Because he gets to be lifted up. When I am out of the way, he gets lifted up. And we need to keep that in mind, that he needs to be lifted up always. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, teach us to make you Lord of all of our life, that you are the one that we are to serve. Help us to always remember that we are the servant. You are the master. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10.9-8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.